I want to thank you for your interest in this topic. I'm keen to have some sort of understanding of why people have come to this. So if you're somebody who trains a school choir, can you raise your hand now? Okay. If you're somebody who trains a, a kid's choir, it, obviously some of you will have more than one role, that's okay. Um, if you're somebody who trains a kid's choir in a church setting, okay. Um, and if you're somebody who teaches individuals to sing, okay, you know more than me. Um, and what other contexts are people coming from this? Anybody, anybody want to tell me why, or, or maybe they're lost and they were looking for somebody <laughs> much more interesting? You're a grandparent. Okay, yeah, okay. So about investing in the young. Yeah, okay. Anybody else? In worship. Okay, fair enough. School assembly. Yeah. Always easy. <laughs> yes. I'm a youth worker and I'm trying to develop music in kind of 11 day things. Great. Okay. Well, that, that's good. I think I think we've got the right the right people here, and that's great. Um, I was slightly slightly concerned that it was a wee bit too niche, but there we are. Um, I want to thank you for your interest in the topic. We've got um, until about a quarter two together, so I'm going to tell you what what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm, I'm going to tell you a little bit about me first of all, if that's working. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about the context in which we're working with children and young people at the moment, um, fairly broadly. And then I'm going to talk about why we should bother to sing, and specifically why we should teach um, kids to sing together. And then I'm going to do a case study for you based on um, my own experience within New Irish Arts and the New Irish Youth Choir in particular. And then I'm going to try and give you some practical ideas that might help you with rehearsals and things like that. And then some free resources and then um, we'll allow some time for question and answer if I haven't used all the time up by then. Um, so here we go. My name is Jonathan Ray, and this is what I look like. <laughs> um, I was born into a Christian family in Belfast. Um, my father was a congregational minister, and copies of this photo were sold to people in our church as part of a calendar to raise money for the BB. Um, the photo shoot took about two hours and I was, I think, eight and a half and I didn't enjoy it very much. But I'm very thankful um, that I grew up with parents who took their faith really seriously. And that played a huge role in taking me to the point where at the age of 17 I realised that I'd had to claim, it was time to claim my faith as my own. Um, I had certainly prayed a prayer as a very young child with my mother. But there came a point where I had to decide for my grown-up self whether I was prepared to claim that faith and make my Christianity central to my life. And so at that point I committed the most serious act of rebellion in my life up until that point, which was that I went and bought an NIV. Um, <laughs> and I began to read the Bible for myself and took ownership of my faith. And alongside that journey into faith, um, there was also a journey into music. Um, my parents sang a bit, but we, we wouldn't have been a family who would have had a, a long history of people learning musical instruments. And it wouldn't, uh, they were the working class people, they wouldn't have had the money to do it. Um, it wouldn't have been a thing they would have thought of. But as a young kid, I was basically obsessed with music and it became pretty clear. I, I think God made it obvious, actually, that music was to be my thing from a very young age. We had a little toy organ that was, in fact, identical to that. And I was really pleased when I found that online. Um, <laughs> And I always kind of say that I learned music the same way in the, in the early stages. I learned music the same way as I learned English. Um, because if I heard somebody sing a tune, I was able to play it. And that's, that's something which came from God. Um, and it was also a bit of a freak show. And like, like all good freak shows, our family went on tour. Um, mostly in the mission halls of Northern Ireland. We, we were like the Von Trapps, but a little less edgy. Um, 
and unfortunately there are recordings that still exist which confirm my very worst darkest fears about just how bad we were. Um, along the way I started to show that God had given me some potential on the piano um, and some wonderful people in our church invested time to help me progress at an early stage as a young Christian and as a musician at the same time. And I will be forever grateful um, to teachers and church organists actually as well who spent time with me as a wee tiny boy. I mean there was, there was, we, we were in the Belfast City Mission and my parents were in the Belfast City Mission for a while when I was really small and uh, there was a lady there called Louis Cuthbertson who I will never forget to the day I die because she let me play the organ when I must have been about four and I would not, not at services but I would, I would come up with the services over um, and, and she would let me work out wee tunes in the organ and she would show me little things and how to make it louder and uh, stuff like that you know but then she would tell me to play quieter again um, and, and you know people like that stick in the memory and the, we moved to Newton Ards then a few years later and, and this, is, this is why the keyboard's here I'm only using it for this one point um, but one night a man came to our house, a man called Ray McFinley, who's still alive and well, and um, he was the church organist there, and he, he did a number of things actually. He went, first of all, and he bought, I know by that stage I was able to play well enough to play along with him, I was sort of about nine at that stage, and he, he went and bought an old rickety piano, took it to his own garage and rebuilt it from scratch so that it was church ready, if you like, um, did, did the work with his own hands. I'll never forget that he did that because we had come to the church and my dad had a wee boy who played the piano. And um, I remember coming to our house one night, and it was the very first service I was to play along with him. At. And one of the hymns we were doing was "Great Is Thy Faithfulness." And um, I had reached a stage by that stage where I could play the tune, so it's working. You know, okay. And, and, but in terms of my understanding of the chords, it was pretty. It was pretty rudimentary. So you, you could make something work. You know, there, there, were wee, there were rough edges. And I remember him starting to show me, hold on, if you look at what that music says, look, you know, unpack, by that stage I had a couple of years of piano lessons and I was starting to learn to read. But the magical moment came to me, you know, that um, because I was, and no, he didn't want that. He wanted what was on the sheet music, which was, and it was like somebody turned a light bulb on for me. And that investment of an evening in our house when I was nine years old is something that has shaped a huge part of who I am today because I love still messing with chords and shaping music and all the rest of it. And it happened because somebody took their time to spend with a wee boy who was nine. I think you can see where this is going. Um, at 18, I was privileged to go to Cambridge and I had some fantastic musical opportunities there sang in choirs in venues like Westminster Abbey and King's College Chapel, began to learn how to conduct orchestras, and for a working class pastor's boy in the night from the 1970s in Belfast, it was a wonderful opportunity. It wasn't the 1970s then, for clarity. <laughs> <laughs> but it was there that my love of choirs and choral music really began to take off, and after graduating, I got a job then in Banker Grammar School as a music teacher, threw myself into education in a big way, loved the interaction with young people more than I could ever have imagined, Got a real kick out of putting on school concerts, carol services and things like that. And also began to learn how to give pastoral care to young people who were trying to have normal days in the middle of very abnormal family circumstances. That became a big part of my job. The first promotion I got was a pastoral role rather than a musical one. It was great. For many, many years I loved 
I'll say the banter actually and the pace of life surrounded by witty, intelligent and rather confident, sometimes even arrogant, teenage boys. And I think I learned every bit as much, if not rather more actually, about the colours of life there as I did when I was in Cambridge a few years earlier. Um, because it was kind of a wee bit more earthy, the whole thing. But at the start of my time in Bank Grammar, I had my first ever phone call, which I mentioned yesterday in the seminar from Keith Getty, inviting me to join his new choir. And I became increasingly active in that group and was asked to take it over when Keith moved abroad and no longer had time to carry his musical baby. And um, I, I taught alongside that for a while. And then in 2011, I walked away from the teaching job because it was the right thing to do. It was the right time. The Lord made it really clear to me that it was time to give up the teaching job and go out in faith and with New Irish Arts and make that the main thing I was going to do. And that's, that's what we're doing. So New Irish Arts is a Christian organisation with an aspiration to be an artistic presence in the church and then a Christian presence in the arts at the same time. And we talk about presenting Christianity, whoops, supporting the church, sorry, resourcing the church and supporting Christians in the arts. Last year we appeared in public in some shape or form on 39 occasions. Um, everything from concert hall events uh, they're that size with big choir and orchestra, anywhere up to 300 people at stage. Smaller concept events like our World War I Greater One event, uh, Greater Love event, which has now been done in 16 venues across Ireland. Um, um, events like church concerts, worship leading uh, for conferences like this one, training for local church musicians. Um, I'm going to slide out now. And we do the occasional CD recording and the um, broadcast for the BBC and things like that from time to time as well. Um, it's a real privilege to work with that organisation. I love it. Um, I, I, I pinch myself every now and again when I realise the opportunity the Lord has given me um, because you know there are lots of people who would love to be able to have a group like that to work with and I've been, gift, I've been gifted this thing by somebody else's vision actually uh, for me to live it out and make it work. But one of my very favourite things that we do every year with that group is a youth residential um, and that happens every summer with a choir of teenagers. <laughs> And this year, um, well, it's next week, actually, it starts, it starts on Monday. <laughs> uh, and there are 104 of them coming to Galloway. Um, and we provide education, not just in singing, but also in the Christian faith. It's, think of it as like an SU camp, but with, without the SU branding. Um, and with a choir, um, where lots of the activities would be. Um, so the concert we do at the end of that is also specifically aimed at whole families, very child-friendly and a very different vibe from the other things we do. So the young people singing, they're named at, at other young people um, and, and it sort of models something for them to want to aspire to be part of. And then just this year, we've also started our youth orchestra with its first residential, uh, a, an opportunity for young players to foster their musical talents within a Christian context as well. And, and that, that we had our weekend in Castlewell in there with 50 of them um, just in the spring. In all of this activity, this organisation is trying to create a situation where anybody who comes into contact with us, whether they're a Christian or not, is encouraged to worship God. I have distilled the purpose of the organisation down to the sense of we use the arts to encourage people to worship God. And that means that if somebody who loves the Lord and has done for 45 years comes into our concert, we want them to be encouraged to engage with God while they're there. And it also means that if somebody walks in off the street because they stumble in on some, you know, poster and they've, they've just wandered into the, the waterfront or wherever we happen to be and they come in, then they'll have the opportunity to consider what it would be like to give their life to God and worship God. That's what we're for. On top of all that work, I am father to these three lovely young men aged 15, 13 and 5. Draw your own conclusions about our family planning. <laughs> Um, because of them three, I have learned to accept that lots of my life is made up of circumstances beyond my control. 
uh, but I've picked up some morsels of parenting wisdom over the years. The further you are from a bathroom, the more desperately the child will need one. The more urgently you need to leave the house, the farther apart his two shoes will be. And the more you advise a teenager to do something, the less appealing he will find it. Each one is, of course, unique and has his own bespoke needs. One has to be woken really gently. Come on, son. Come on. Seriously, it's time. Come on. One enjoys being pulled out of bed. And the other simply arrives in my room and wakens us. There's one who likes to be carried. One who's lazy and likes all his stuff carried for him. And one who can carry me. (laughs) Really. Um, They're great kids, but sometimes I fear for them because the context of the society that they're growing up in is so very different from the upbringing I had. So let's consider that context for a moment. First of all, I want to think about the social context. I think one of the biggest social changes for our kids' generation compared with the one I grew up in is that they're growing up without remembering an era where the whole world was at their fingertips in a, a technological device. And I believe that alongside all the wonderful stimulus that comes from technology, I should say, by the way, there are some of you who are very diligently taking notes. I have a really thorough handout, (laughs) which you will get at the end of this. I don't give it out at the start. But if you're the sort of person who likes taking notes, that's cool. But if you're the sort of person who'd be really cross if you find out there's a handout after you've taken notes, (laughs) I should should honour that now and let you know it's coming. Um, But I do believe that alongside all the wonderful stimulus that comes from technology, there are real dangers and risks that are dulling the minds of my kids' generation. Uh, You may have seen this tragic picture before. I don't know whether it's staged, fake or what. But it's of kids in an art gallery where the kids are missing the opportunity to see the art because they're missing, uh, they're actually busy on their phones. It's an extreme caricature of what they act, the way they actually do life. They go to youth group, they play on their phones in the same room as each other. They go to each other's homes and they they send Snapchats to people who aren't in the room. They apply filters to their stories as well as to their pictures. They feel the pressure to live lives that are going to impress their peers. And when they take pictures, a huge number of the pictures they take are selfies, which says something very profound about the way our society is encouraging self-promotion rather than the affirmation of others. Is it any wonder that there's been a massive increase in talk about mental health among young people? Most of us know that our happiest memories of growing up actually took place outside, in tents, on rivers doing real stuff with real people. But the constant expectation of having the right to be online has become a drug which dulls kids' minds, makes them believe that the happiest places are found in their device. And the great irony is that more and more scientific studies are of course telling us now that excessive use of mobile phones is proving that it makes kids grumpy and dissatisfied. They want the dopamine, but it's actually harming them. That's the social context we're in. That's the big issue, I think, for kids of this generation. So let's now think about the educational context. Young people are under tremendous pressure to achieve. And very often schools are prioritising the statistics of their academic results over things that provide more holistic education. Individual success has become the god of education. The whole purpose of it is that you can get as far as you want to go without a proper conversation really about what success actually is and how it links with happiness or community or any of those things. At the same time, many people also believe that there's a a slow-moving deterioration in standards, particularly in the acquisition of actual knowledge. More and more exams are open book. Kids have high levels of skill, but very little information actually contained inside their heads. 
because the use of technology has tended to make them lazy about storing the data for themselves. Sure, if I need to know that data, I'll look it up in Google. Why would I need to learn French? I've got Google Translate in my hand. Son, I want you to get a new culture and understand it from its language because that's where culture is. <sighs> that's the level of debate. But even within that context, they're under pressure. And again, the mental health stats show that the education system is central to why lots of them are actually a breaking point. Moving on a step further to the spiritual context. When I was a kid, we were taught this great idea that you, you learned what the Bible said and you were encouraged to believe it. And kids now are taught from the start to be questioners. And there's some good in that. There is some good in that. Blindness and faith don't go well together. Open-mindedness is good. But they do live in a climate where faithful obedience to the word of God is actually disdained in a society that seems to have some sort of systemic cynicism running right through it. And even when kids from Christian homes tend to be more, even, sorry, even the kids who come from Christian homes tend to be a little bit more worldly wise from the get-go. The result of this is that instead of the Bible knowledge shaping their theology, in many cases, social pressures are shaping their understanding of the world and their understanding of what God would think instead. And so on, issues about marriage, life, death, and so on. They don't come from the same secure biblical basis that the previous generation did when they're making their minds up about what they believe. They draw from the information they've picked up from their peers and place an exceptionally high value on current social opinion as expressed on social media. Along with this comes, from, uh, comes a massive decrease in the regular discipline of Bible reading compared with a generation ago. And with that, the loss of Bible vocabulary shape their whole worldview. The result is that many young believers simply seem to see their spirituality as just a part of their own self-expression. This is me. In a sense, many of our young people are, are kind of defaulting to a pick and mix theology. Wanting to believe that God is good and loving and kind, but not that he has authority over their minds and their actions. So without being completely depressing, I think the social educational and spiritual context in which our kids are growing up is really quite hostile. And so we turn for wisdom to the greatest of all the philosophers, Charlie Brown. <laughs> Charlie Brown says, what can I do? And you might wonder what you can do and the influence that you have. Well, I know what I can do because God has given me music as my gift. And while I would like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony, I know that's not going to work. But I've been shocked, shocked and blessed and motivated and inspired by what God is doing in small ways through a youth choir that I'm privileged to lead. And this is where we're starting to get closer to the, the seminar, but I wanted to place everything I'm saying in, in, in context for you. Because I find that with a broad holistic approach there are many benefits in engaging kids in the act of singing together. And I don't want to just start by talking to you about how to help them sing in tune or in time because I actually think it's really vital that a group of Christians who devote their time to coming to a conference like New Horizon understand that if you're going to run a choir, you must have a much bigger vision than the musical sound. Because what we're doing is about aspirations that are about addressing the very core problems in society. When we get kids together in a place, we've got to use that opportunity for more than deciding, no, sorry, you need to pronounce that word just slightly more beautifully. That's the context. So let's move on to singing. Why sing? 
Singing is a very natural activity. The instrument is your own body. It's right there. No resources are needed. No expense needs to be uh, spent. And our voices are a very personal expression of who we are. We're identified by our voices. Somebody lifts the phone, you hear them on the other end, you know who it is. So let's take it further. Why should we use that thing that's so personal to sing together? Well, there, there's lots of evidence that singing together is good for us good for our mental health. There are lots of studies about the whole idea of the mental health benefits of singing in the choir in particular. Endorphins and oxytocin are released and we start to feel better about the world around us when we sing in groups. It's a pressure release valve, much better than the fidget spinner. Again, this is a scientific thing. It turns out that there really is sweet singing in the choir. And when they're together in the choir practice, they're not looking at their phones, unless it's a really badly run choir. The enforced structure of doing a thing which encourages interaction with other humans and is also aesthetically pleasing. That's really good for them. Then there's the listening skills. Kids don't learn listening by osmosis. They have to be taught how to listen in contexts which actually engender that. The selfie culture does not promote the idea that you should listen to other people's ideas. It promotes the idea you should get online and publish your thoughts, whatever they are and however half-baked they are. A little bit of music making tends to actually reduce the strength of that idea and that self-centeredness in people's lives. It's also a chance to aim high. Replacing the, the technology obsession with something that is actually luxurious, beautiful and genuinely difficult to do well. And yet so worth it. And then just to move this a little further, why sing in a Christian context? Well, there's the whole idea that the lyrics that we use when we sing infuses a real quality of theology. Assuming most people in New Horizon are coming from a Christian perspective and with Christian goals in mind, pause and think for a moment about the incredible power and the incredible privilege it is to be able to teach words to kids in a way that's going to lock those words in their heads. They know how to store lyrics in their heads. Let's please give them something better than This is the Greatest Show or Baby Shark. We're also doing what God has told us to do. God clearly likes the singing. In fact, God likes singing so much that in Zephaniah 3.17 it says that he sings over us. Think how many times we're encouraged in the Bible to sing to the Lord. What great value there is to be found in encouraging the young to use their voices to exalt the Lord we love. So, case study time. New Irish Youth Choir. New Irish Youth Choir. <coughs> this is how it works. We have an age range of 11 to 17. They're auditioned uh, in the spring and then they come on a six day summer residential. We then do the occasional concert during the year and then sometimes we do recordings, done the odd TV, radio thing and CDs and we're about to record a new Getty Kids handle this summer actually. When we started this choir there was something, there were some things that we hoped would happen. Uh, we had hoped first of all that it would start to feed into our adult choir and orchestra. It was like a junior department, you know, to, to secure the future of the senior one which was actually a pretty narrow vision for it. Um, we also hoped that it would feed into churches. And we had this sort of loose, vague idea that kids who would sing together at a, at a Christian choir in the summer would then return to the places where they were, better equipped to be part of church life. What was really interesting was that last summer I looked at the room of 100 young people and said one day, off the cuff, how many of you are involved in some kind of upfront role in your church on a reasonably regular basis? There's 11 to 17 year olds, not primary. 
How many of you are involved in some kind of upfront role in your church on a reasonably regular basis? And I think about 70 of the hands went up. And I, I then refined the question and said, and how many of you actually get to speak or choose songs as part of that role? And there were still 40 to 50 of the hands were still up. So I'm looking at this particular group of young people that have landed on our laps as New Irish because of the particular choir we are, and thinking, wow, there's actually something really important to do here in terms of how that feeds into local churches. And that has been a much bigger vision for us to think about, actually, than, than, uh, than we thought when we, when we anticipated it first. There was also the whole idea of developing young talent. We're obviously aiming at a fairly high level in New Irish Arts. We're trying to do the thing really, really well. It's not the same thing as the community, ordinary primary school choir where you're getting kids together for the thing. We're aiming at trying to take the, the talented kids from all of those places, if you like, and put them together in one place and do something that's really quite special. But I think it's also good to encourage everybody at every level that they're at to move one step further in terms of the aspiration of quality than where they were at in the first place when they woke up that morning. And then there's the spiritual growth. Um, we... Uh, we often on our last day at the residential will host a session where people can just have an open mic to come and say this is what I've learned this week and it, it would make you cry it's, it's incredible but people come you know, we, we organise our teaching you know typical residential camp thing you do something in the morning and you do something in the evening and one's more serious than the other uh, but my new horizon um, <laughs> and uh, and they go you know they go through the week and they do little small group things and and you know, big interactive prayer workshop, mission workshop last year as well. And, um, you know, at the end of the week, different. What, what's astonishing actually is that you don't end up with them all highlighting the same thing because each of them will put on their, own, their own, on their own little bespoke journey. It just reminds you of their individuality again. But there have been some, those, so those were the hopes, those are the things we thought would happen to some degree. But there have been surprises along the way. The first surprise has been that the network that they create is a very powerful thing. There's a dynamic thing that just happens when you put young people together where they end up forming their own friendship groups. And this has been a consistent thing where parents have fed back to us that the most valuable thing that they perceive for their child in being part of this residential process is that the kids meet with other like-minded kids and then start to share ideas and stuff together. And I, I've seen groups of kids here this week at New Horizon who are now slightly too old for New Irish Youth Choir who've rocked up at New Horizon together in the group that they first met in our youth choir and that's really cool to see that they're now you know they're moving from residential camp for kids to let's go and get some serious input into uh, our lives at this conference and they're being you know and they're sitting and they're I, I know from some of the parents they're sitting thrashing through the ideas the way the way the adults do you know uh, things that are said from the stage yeah, I agree with that I'm sure you know she would be hearing more of this less of that whatever and that's really inspiring you know that's going on the other thing that's happened has been the pastoral opportunities um, mental health issues very much to the fore in last year's camp uh, which is why I keep mentioning it there have been other wee weird things um, it happens that we have three leaders on our team who are diabetic and there have been a number of parents who have had confidence to send their kids to our camp because they know that there are three diabetic leaders, I'm one of them um, and, and they send their kids to us and they know that their kids are properly looked after and that, that we'll tell them if something goes wrong um, and there have been other things that other little pastoral doors have opened as well. I remember having a conversation with one of our sound engineers, um, and he talked about the fact that really his sound engineering job, the Christian guy, um, was just a gateway to do stuff with people. For him, yes, he trained as a sound engineer, he knows what all the knobs do, and that's great. Um, but actually, for him, it's about the interaction with people and the events, and make, you know, serving an event like this one or, or any other. 
um, with, with good resourcing. And I think it's a, it's a really useful thing to see whatever our day job is or whatever we actually do spend our time as, as a way of doing that. It's about the people long term. It's not about the process. And the other thing that came out was that um, we were very surprised about was that the place becomes something of a creativity factory. We did a, a workshop one year um, on songwriting um, as, part of the, as part of the residential. And the kids sort of started to write their own songs. And I was like, this is really powerful. Really, really. So you've done a lot of that as well, Ian, haven't you? And, and, and you know, some of them are better than others, but they're all using lyrics and they're all finding their own ways of, in effect, praying through song and, and engaging with God. And that's been really, really interesting because actually sometimes when we haven't run that workshop, it's kind of happened organically anyway in the free time. You, you see them, four or five of them sitting. They're all wee nerds, so they don't go and kick footballs. They go get, they find a guitar, you know, and, 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 and they sit around. It's a really interesting. It's like, it's like the perfect camp for me to run because for years I ran multi-activity camps with abseiling, gorge walking, and all that nonsense that I couldn't do. And I used to send all the leaders out and say, see you later. And, they would, yeah, and I orchestrate the plan for the whole thing and make sure it worked. But now I'm actually running something that I understand. Um, the other thing that's happened is, is that they're better at the adults, they're better than the adults at quite a lot of things. Sometimes their sound is fresher, they're faster at learning rhythm because they hear. And even though I was slabbering about listening skills earlier on in young people, actually, um, they're pretty sharp when it comes to picking up complex rhythm in a way that the adult choir from the Irish would not be. Um, and they'll, they'll do with their tools slightly better as well. <laughs> they also have extremely high expectations. Um, we had a re the first recording session we ever did with them. There, there was a, it was sound okay. Um, we we played them back something through the speakers. There was a wee lassie in the back called Callie, who, who was you know one of those leaders. You know you, you know from ten minutes into the camp that Callie is going to be one of the leaders of the camp. Is she here? That would be so bad. <laughs> uh, but yeah, she she was great actually, and she opened her mouth in the recording session as they were listening back to themselves singing and said, "Hey, this is rubbish. We need to make this about ten times better. Come on, folks, some energy here." It was just like, whoa, you want to just come on and do my job. Um, but you know what? She was right. We were settling for something that was okay. It was okay. But actually she made it better because she inspired her mates around her to make it, to make it have a bit more life about it. And the other thing then has been the level of spiritual engagement. Um, it's a particular nuance of the kids who tend to be musical and arrive at this. A lot of them are high achievers and therefore really quite detailed thinkers beyond their years. Um, but it's, it's just so inspiring to hear them pray together and the mutual encouragement that they give each other and the things they say to each other and the way in which they build each other up. So there's been many, many benefits out of our choir that I could never have fully predicted would happen. So to encourage you then, I'm going to move on to some practical help for what you actually do when you're with the choir, which is maybe what we thought you were coming to in the first place. First thing that's really important is you've got to do good planning. You've got to choose songs that work. Songs that are singable with a vocal range that fits young voices comfortably. You've got to do harmonic lines that sing comfortably. If you're going to do harmonies, in the, it's got to be stuff that works easily. It's better to do stuff that they will do well and make an attractive sound at than to create challenge by taking them right to the very, very edge of what is possible and doing it in a mediocre way that they'll not be satisfied in the end. I've proved it both ways and I know which is the more satisfying result. It's better to take stuff that is simpler and more effective than to push and push and push to try and do the thing that they might actually think they want to do but which they will not actually realise well. You also want songs that are going to engage their hearts and that applies actually whether it's school choir or, or Christian choir. 
Uh, you want to have songs that connect with them in a way that actually brings the emotion from inside and, and that they can properly identify with. And then you also want songs that will develop musicianship. A wee bit of challenge, you know? It's, it's, it's a very delicate balance to get. So when you plan, for your choir, and, all, it would, and most of you know this, more, much more work is done outside the room than is done inside the room. Don't just nick the stuff the school down the road there, that really annoys them. And it also doesn't have your full investment <coughs> of, your, of your head in it. Practical help. Good rehearsal technique. Seat them intelligently. Put the one that's dead noisy, you know, as a voice, I mean, you know, next to the one who's you know, gonna need a wee bit of confidence beside them. Try and make try and make advantage out of disadvantage. Um, have them sitting in their parts. Think about the behavioural issues that are represented in the group and who would be better in front of you. Use vocal warm ups, the start of the thing. Just little exercises. One, one, two, one, one, two, three, two, one, one, two, three, four, three, two, one, one, two, three, four, five, four, three, two, one, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, 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 seven and so on. Yeah? Um, warm ups are good. Rehearse with high energy. Keep your own energy very high as you go. If you sound demotivated or sit down or do anything that communicates that you're not fully at the party, it won't feel like a party anymore. Now, rote learning for rhythm. So some people coming from a proper choral background for a long time will feel that they have to learn to read rhythm accurately. Actually, in most songs that they're singing now, they need to have a much higher level of rhythm understanding before they can do that, okay? So what I would say to you is that when you're learning rhythm, it's much better to hear. I actually quite like people still to see the notation in front of them because it means that then they can understand what the sound they're making looks like on the page and learn it that way round. But actually, rote rhythm for rote rhythm for rote learning works very well for rhythm. Send your if you're going to do harmonies, do them in groups separately. Put the thing together in small chunks uh, because that that's much easier than sending the harmony group away with another teacher for two weeks and then bringing everything back with the harmony fully learned. Do it in small chunks and get you know get eight bars right that day and then do the next eight bars another day. You'll find that all music repeats itself so much it'll be an awful lot quicker process than you imagine. The other thing then is about aiming for high standards. I think it's quite good if they can learn to identify, to read pitch on normal music notation as they read. So sometimes it's good to have you know, the tune written out on, on the board at the front or on, on something in their hands where they actually learn the ability to follow sheet music. Not because it's a compulsory thing and not because good singing depends on it, but just because it's a really useful skill. And it's one of the things that I'm talking about when I'm talking about aiming high in terms of stretching the more able kids in particular. The other thing um, is that you then, treat the, you then teach them that while the eye is important, the important thing is actually what they hear. Believe your ear rather than your eye. So yes, learn the discipline of reading music, but actually the end result is determined by what we hear. And it's got to look. You know, music is pointless if it's just something on a page. So... Our generation and the generations certainly before us were taught that that music, you know, the sheet music was the music, and actually you were interpreting the thing that was on the page. Now we're going for a performance thing. That's the result, and the and the sheet music is simply one of it's 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 the guide that takes you there. But it is a guide rather than this proper relativism. People used to talk about note bashing, you know. So the harmony part goes like this. Oh, and, and there's no shape to that. Don't 
bash the notes as though they're not part of something. If you're teaching a tune, um, our God is greater, our God is stronger, God, you are higher than any other. It's very natural shape to how that tune grows, isn't there? Um, because it's going somewhere and the note, the note for higher is higher than the rest. So if you're teaching a tune like that just to pick a random tune, well, what you want to do is you want to teach with the phrasing intact from the word go. Don't go, here's how it goes. Without actually trying to give the dynamic. You know, people learn people learn music and they learn to sing songs and then or, or play piano or any instrument. And very often the process when you're particularly preparing for the you know, the formal associated board exams is that you start with thinking, right, I must get my hand around this. And then I'll start to add in dynamics and start to make it nice. And that's a complete waste of your time, actually. What you must do, first of all, is understand where it's going from the word go, because then your hand will learn the shape in a way that is musical from the start. So you teach, our God is greater, our God is stronger, God, you are higher than any other. And you make them copy the volume at the same time. And you know what actually happens is that their heads focus on the volume and they start, they start not to worry about the shape of the tune quite so much because they get better at following the, the musical shape and the gesture of the whole thing. And the thing becomes musical much faster rather than it just being an exercise. Teach phrases and copy all the elements of the music rather than just giving them one little thing at a time and thinking, we'll worry about loud and soft later. And you'll be surprised that even choirs with very young kids or really very low ability, how they will respond, even in normal church settings of very mixed ability, actually, in all sorts of settings, you will find that people will respond when you demand that they do that from the first time. Raising the bar again. Create landmark occasions. So important that when kids rehearse stuff, it's for a purpose. They're going somewhere with it. Create events that they're going to remember for the rest of their lives. Get them to perform in public. It's really great when people get the affirmation. And actually, it's something wonderful about when you get kids together receiving public applause or you know people sending them after, oh, really great, you were part of that. They love the sense of the special the novel, something to look forward to, and a sense of privilege in the venue, you know, make the place look nice. Don't be lazy about lighting, you know. Raise the bar so that production levels match what you're aiming towards in terms of the ethos you're going for. Perform and rehearse with as good an accompaniment as you can possibly get. Inspire them with high quality musicianship around them. What we do with the New Irish, <laughs> I, I, I recognise that my resources situation is probably fairly rich. Um, <laughs> but what we do with the New Irish Youth Choir is we, we, we send them YouTubes in the summer first or, or Dropbox links to the songs they're going to be learning and those are usually in pretty raw demo form or if they're a new song or if they're not then they're you know but they, they learn orally before they come in theory in truth on the first day you look at them and say how many of you listened <laughs> and three hands go up because either because they actually haven't listened or because it's uncool to admit that you listened I'm not quite sure but but certainly it's but that that's the plan anyway and then when they come in they they, they, they learn the songs and we do it with piano in the, the rehearsals and then maybe maybe you get a little you know a group of the leaders to do something slightly bigger as you but at the end of the week, we bring in like a 15-piece orchestra for the concert that they did in the last night. And that's the aspiration the whole way through the week. We're going somewhere, we're, you know, Friday night or Saturday night, whatever it is, we're going to do a concert with the full orchestra. We say we call it a full orchestra. It's not a full orchestra. Um, but don't tell the public that. Um, but there's an orchestra there. And, you know, it creates 
a big big sound obviously with them and we get proper PA and we invest properly and that's, that's for the level we're aiming at but what I'm saying to you is think to yourself when I'm in my church or my school how can I make this not seem lacklustre how can I give a sense that this is special and in your own context you'll come up with better ideas than trying to borrow my orchestra because they're busy um, <laughs> record them it's a, recording musicians any, any professional musician will tell you that a microphone is the most humiliating thing that exists in music um, because we all hear the things with a you know it's lovely to see the New Horizon band online you know an hour after you've finished but when you're listening with a sharp ear <laughs> sometimes you think <laughs> 200 you know 2,500 views, great. <laughs> Wish I'd hit that note. Um, but actually, when you're, when you're dealing with choir rehearsals and you create a culture where recording and playback is you know, part of the evaluation process, let's record and say, right, kids, what do you think we can do better? What do you think? Well, how, did you think that sounded good? And, and you'll find that they're ever bit as critical as you are, actually, when they come to it, because they're razor sharp. And the other thing I would say is, when you're working with kids, is encourage songwriting. Um, even from very early stages, the little rudimentary bits and pieces. Um, because that then allows them to be doing the thing, the self-expression thing that the internet's not inviting them to do all the time. It, it, it does it in a way which is, I think, higher value than listen, uh, yet another Snapchat post. But underneath all of this, just to go back to where we started, what's really important is that you have a good ethos surrounding the whole thing. There needs to be a social context around the singing. If you get the kids just to sing and then you send them home at the end, I don't think there's much of it. For us, we have the joy of being on camp for a week. And it's fantastic because they come and they have great fun and they work really, really hard as well. I also think that there's something very valuable in the situation where you can have adults learning together with kids. We bring a big team to the Irish Youth Choir and the adults actually are in the choir, except the men, because they have broken voices and that ruins the whole thing. Um, but... Um, but we do, get, we do get the adult leaders to be in the choir and they, they learn the parts alongside the kids and, and you know there's a bit of nudging you know, to fix that there and there's something good and it's, it's not done in a way that says hey you got that wrong you know from an adult point of view it's a let's learn this together and that togetherness thing can be a very powerful thing as well and um, when you send your group of kids up to the front to sing in church I can't rem I'm looking at the person who does this in our church as I said and I can't remember what way you do this I genuinely don't know, so um, this is not about you, okay? <laughs> but when you send the kids up to the front of church, go with them. Take, the, take some of the adults with them and, and make the actions huge if you're going to do that and, and demonstrate that you mean business about the occasion and, and that improves the whole sense of occasion. And if you don't want to do it and you're fully, fully in charge of the group, then get somebody else in your team to do it for you. Um, be sensitive to age. We call ours the young people the whole time and we, we tell each other off if we call them the kids by mistake. 11 to 17. They don't want to be the kids. Build an amazing pastoral team around your group. If you have a church group, you've got to have people there whose musical ability simply doesn't matter because their main job was to invest in lives. And we would have all the people who come in New Irish Youth have music in because they come from the New Irish Choir and Orchestra. That's the whole point. Um, but there would be people there whose primary responsibility is really a caring one. And we find that to be a very, very rewarding and important thing. 
And the other thing is, and this doesn't matter what your choir is, actually pray for them. I've I've loved some engagement with, 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 with Christian teachers over the years who've talked about their kids and what their strengths and weaknesses are. And then, then they know a little bit about some of them spiritually as well. And in an environment where where the presence of Christianity in schools is more threatened than it has ever been in this country, I think it's important that we are prayerful actually for the kids that come into contact with us. And that's not just the ones that are in Sunday school. And I so wish I'd done more of that when I was in Bangalore. One of my regrets. Resources in a wee minute. Conclusion first. We could have spent a huge amount of time talking about the mechanics of music. I haven't done that. Um, but what I've tried to do is demonstrate how the investment of others in my own life has led me to have a passion for paying that forward to the next generation of the work that I do now. We can do choir all we like, but in terms of God's big kingdom, I actually think it's really pointless if the musical result is the only thing that's up for grabs. It's got to be about people. It's got to be about developing relationships between people and also with the Lord. And it's also about developing maturity for Christian service ultimately and working in God's kingdom for, you know, that, that it's going to make whole lives happen. That whole thing, I still feel slightly flat and guilty about the fact that our vision when we created New Irish Youth Choir originally was we need to protect the big choir. It was, it was a defence, it was a defence thing. We needed future-proof our organisation. When in fact, the benefits of the, the new group of young people are here now and right there in your face and because young people are so open actually so tangible and so encouraging along the way and I genuinely look forward to the engagement with them more than anything else we do in the year put those values relationship maturity for service God's kingdom right at the centre of all your interactions with young people and in particular with their choir and then you end up actually teaching them in a harmony which is greater than the sum of its parts. Resources. That was a really cheesy last line. I, know. <laughs> I am too lazy to print stuff so what I've done is I've put a little box of resources together for you and if you have a pen or a phone in which you can write down this URL you will find them. In there I, am, I have included um, some free audio tracks um, of songs by the New Irish Youth Choir I've also included some sheet music and a copy of the handout from this seminar. And I'll give you another 15 seconds before I advance to the next slide. I'll leave that up for about a month and then I'll forget about it and it'll stay there forever. <laughs> Okay, I want to show you a video of the New Irish Youth Choir, just for fun. <coughs>
not sh a short subliminal message. <laughs> She'd also say, available from the Faith Mission bookstore at New Horizon. Uh, along with other new Irish CDs as well, if you're interested. So the history of that little song um, is that the song was written by a group of four girls and two leaders um, in a songwriting workshop on the first year when we did that. I will never fully know the contribution of the two leaders to the song, but I know that every one of them certainly feels a legitimate sense of ownership of it, including, you know, including the leaders. Actually, it was a together thing. It's the whole thing of the adult and the kid doing the thing together that's important. Um, then we took the song and we did it in a concert and it worked well and people responded well to it because it's fun, it's fast, and it's got good truth in it too. Um, and then we put it on a CD the following year and then the year after that we shot the video to the CD, if that makes sense. Um, I think in terms of offering kids some way of seeing a little thing that they do in a wee group before multiply out, that's pretty good. <laughs> Um, I think there's, there's, there's microcosm ways that we can all be doing that in the context in which we are. You know, reward the thing, you know, whether it's just getting another teacher in to see, hey, look, come on here, how these kids are doing today. Because all those little rewards along the way make the thing more inspiring. Um, we also got the song signed to a publisher, which resulted in each person who was a writer receiving 36 pence and a recent royalty statement. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, but but they have to wait until it reaches a tenor before they get actual, an actual check. <laughs> but there we are. That's the choice of songwriting. Um, and Christ alone, I think, may have made more than that. Um, I'm done at this point, but I am going to offer the opportunity for any questions that anybody wants to ask because we've got another five minutes left. So, hello. So, uh, where would you get ideas from to introduce new songs to kids? Hello. Like kids source, but how do you sort of have yeah. any particular sources that would be good? Honestly, I, I John, John, repeat the question. Where do we get ideas for resources for people to sing? Yeah, for for kids to sing specifically. Yeah. Okay, so mo most of the song factories, um, like Getty Music or Hillsong or any of those, will have a kids vineyard worship. Um, all have kids resources that are there. I spend probably about four to five working days a year um, on Spotify looking for material for New Horizon and New Irish Youth at the same time. Um, and I do it by just doing lots and lots of listening. I will also send out about five or six emails to people I trust saying, what are you using? Uh, what do you think would be good for us to look at? Um, mostly from the youth team, actually. Um, and that's, that's how you end up because obviously that yields a huge amount of resource very quickly. Um, and I think one of the things that's really useful in a place like this is that you can network with each other actually and, and exchange a little bit of give and take with things without stealing anybody's music. Um, but I think, it's, I think it's good to try and delve into a wide range of resources. I think there's, a, I mean, there's obviously there's a company called Out of the Ark who have done all the primary school music. Um, for a long, long time, and I think it's important to go beyond just one source because then you end up with a greater diet of of different material. Um, good though the out of the arc stuff is, um, so I would I would encourage you to look, look you know look at five or six different sources and try and try and try and map out strategically what what people are going to sing over a period of a couple of years rather than just oh my goodness I need something for Friday. Long term thinking is always good. Anything else?
Um, Jonathan, would it be possible for you to release the actual song music of that CD? Because I would love to get my hands on the piano accompaniment of some of those pieces. Okay, so... The prayer one at the, at the end. The prayer one at the end. The very last one. Um, offhand, I just but if, if some you, of them I think you've written if, yourself if, yes okay so there are four pieces of sheet music that are in that folder that I've just given you on the URL um, I'm not sure whether the one you're talking about is there but if there's a song that you want sheet music of that you've heard New Irish do anywhere and we can give it to you or sell it to you um, or point you in the direction of where we got it um, you can email the office at any stage it's not the thing we tend to reply to fastest because usually there's an event on fire in front of us but you will eventually get an answer telling you where to find it um, but you might even find. What, what the, I wish I knew which song you had. Um, the last I can song sing that is. Lively, I can. Um, all the words are lovely. My children love it. They listen to it all the time. Is it the Jesus I, Loves Me one? Yes, the Jesus Loves Me yeah, one. Yeah, so that that is in the box you've got. Right. Um, when you start teaching a new song, do you give the children of the young people sheet music, uh, or do you sing the line and they learn it? In New Irish Youth, I give them sheet music um, because of because of the high aspiration of what we're trying to do there, and because a lot of them are players as well, and it, it, it speeds up the process. Um, I I think there's I think for those of you who are teaching very young children, there's there's value in aspiring to the idea that you learn that these dots mean something from the word go, rather than just the music is the thing that the teacher has and that the kids have. And I would encourage some element of that. But obviously, if you're doing a, I'm trying to think of a, a song which is rhythmically complex, then it can look very busy on the page, and all all of the dyslexic kids will cry. Um, so I'm I'm, sen I'm not insensitive to that. Um, it's more important, I guess, with the, in the priority list for the younger ones, I would say it's more important that they learn to use their ear. Um, with able kids, it's important that they get an opportunity to use their eyes um, because that's an important discipline that's being lost actually in the generation. In terms of warm ups, I yes. always struggle and I'm doing the same warm ups and I feel like it's boring. What do you find? I know maybe it's, I think it's a lot of times people's experience and if they've done vocal coaching of some sort. Would you have anywhere that you could find new warm ups or even new Have you ever Google vocal warm ups? I have that there's that much that I don't know, I know what's really I know. good. I don't want to do any rubbish at the same time. There's a wonderful resource called Singing Matters published by Heinemann. I don't know if it still exists. Um, but it's very good and has lots of warm up stuff in it, games and does anybody know if it still exists? Heinemann. Like yeah, it's blue. Yeah. Big five. Thank you. And um, you mentioned that you know we have golden opportunities in schools, but I think where I teach in South Belfast, those opportunities are becoming less and less. It's harder to maintain Christian assemblies, any yeah. type of hymn singing, and that's in the context of no kids going to church yeah. um, with no knowledge or don't even know Jesus loves me, but there are not yeah. any Christian songs. So, have you any advice in our context of how to? teach really, as you said, simple theology in a way that children will remember, um, but also how do we protect those opportunities for future generations in schools? I don't know how we protect so for future generations because society is changing so radically. I think the important thing is to take the opportunity you have on a given day, yeah. and if you've got the chance to infuse some good lyrics. I think, I think one of the things is that kids tend to default, you know, <laughs> the world's weird, you know, kids are wearing skeletons. And it's cool, you know. the The biggest phenomenon of the last years in literature has been Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. 
there's there's a lot of stuff that is pointing towards darkness everywhere I haven't read Harry Potter by the way so don't comment if you're a Harry Potter lover this is not me having to go with Harry Potter <laughs> but I'm saying that the themes that are that are shaping culture are are, are not all good um, I think there are ways of singing stuff that's positive and affirms good values about friendship and about things that we all can value and then you live your life in a Christian way and you open your mouth when it's appropriate I think is probably the answer and I appreciate that in some contexts I suspect that in urban contexts in Northern Ireland at the moment it is harder you said particularly in South Belfast I'm thinking about the North Coast where I think there's still a reasonable opportunity for you to choose Christian stuff left right and centre because it's a rural community with lots of church goers and I think we've got to pray for the people in the context where it's getting harder and harder to do that um, and it makes it, yeah it may be a time limited thing this you know we don't know how long these opportunities are going to be here that's a totally unhelpful answer but I'll <laughs> pray for you <laughs> anybody else tick 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 oh one more Uh, you're the third person to ask that this week um, resourcing wise at the moment we are maxed okay um, so yes conceptually the idea is on the table the implementation of it is beyond us at the moment and I'm not quite sure how we would achieve that but it's not something that I've closed the door on and whether or not it would be a residential thing or a thing that you do for three Saturdays in a year or something like that I don't know um, I have a funny feeling it would be huge from day one and that it would require significant resourcing and at the moment I think there are lots and lots of people doing the kids thing in normal schools and churches and so on and I see the teenage thing as really really strategic so it's where we've invested the resource at the minute um, but if yeah if, if the op it, it's on the radar but it, it, it's not on the immediate to-do list could it be that it would take a night for areas you know that you could kind of resource the church a number of churches to do sort of oh, okay. workshops, maybe on an area basis, as opposed. Yeah, to I mean the church, the church resourcing we're doing moment at the moment is mostly again, again, we've applied our resources more into helping churches who talk to us about help in normal congregational worship. So a lot of churches are talking at the moment, saying, "Can you come and help?" And we're trying to find different ways of doing that. Um, I, I. I I like every idea you've had. I just don't know how we can do them all. <laughs> Last one. Sorry. Um, I, so I'm like after kind of a group of like 11 to 16 year olds in yep. a local church context. It's quite a big church. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of our worship and our music, it's going all the way. So it's yes. like, like excellent musicians. Yeah. So there's that kind of high aiming thing yep. going on. But then there's also kids, obviously, and youth, sorry, young people, I should say who are say in grade one or two but they have like a desire to be involved yep. so the balance that I find hard is pushing for that like excellence because there's ones that are you know playing by ear doing harmonies really good on guitar learning bass to play you know um, and it's almost like you don't want to favoritize those as yeah. the band especially because they've a lot of them have grown <coughs> organically through Frank totally I think the comment I would make there is that there's an awful lot of the gestures that are made in church life that only have to be made very infrequently for them to be effective. 
So Hilda, who only likes redemption songs, um, actually is very, very pleased when once or twice a year an old hymn that just pulls at her heartstrings from years and years ago. It, 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 it's really important that, that a couple of times a year there's an opportunity found to please Hilda, who wants to sing an old hymn in a church that has perhaps gone away from that particular <coughs> culture of hymns. Who can share the heart like Jesus was singing here yesterday for it? You know, something like that, right? And you don't need to make those gestures very often for them to be effective. I think the same is true for the exposure of young kids to front of church music. I think if you can get an opportunity once or twice a year to make a special day, which is kids of a don't care how it sounds day, I think there's value in that. But actually, I wouldn't sacrifice the excellence of the whole year to it, personally. And then, sorry, in like the context of them, so we're trying to get them to do, like, to lead worship in their youth group and to kind of learn how to choose songs and yep. all that. So when you have kids, obviously, like we've maybe 40 that come even from 11 to 14, and there are maybe a group of maybe 10 of them that want to be involved, but how do you have those conversations when you know you're putting someone on keys and they can't? It's, it's difficult. It's making those decisions about and yeah. certain people play and other people not and then you know parents here are kind of like can you let my son do this you know that's I find those too many advice for how to deal with those it's, it's, it's yes it's the it's the over-resourced church isn't it it's, it's, yeah it's challenging uh-huh. um, do I have any advice on how to deal with that off the top of my head actually no I would be I would be flim flamming and I'm conscious that time is gone and people probably need to look at their kids thank you so much for coming God bless Thank you.